So whenever you do something that is long in process and in time and, and maybe sometimes difficult, it helps to have kind of celebrations and milestones along the way. So for example, my son Riley uh, ran the New York Marathon this past November, uh, and every 10 kilometers, there was a major sign that said, you've run 10 kilometers, you've run 20 kilometers, and there'd be bands and speaker, or like, um, you know, amplification, just like celebration of these major milestones. Because whenever we do something that's a little bit longer, I think we need those kind of encouragements along the way. And so in 2023, one of the things that we as a church are embarking on is reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, And so we made these um, little booklets for you to read along. Uh, You're not reading every chapter, but really a great sampling of what's in the Bible. I think about 400 to 500 of these have been picked up uh, since January, and that is awesome. That just encourages me. Um, But one of the things we want to do is encourage you along the way as you're reading. And so if you are reading based kind of on the dates there, you passed a major milestone this past week is you finished what is often called the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Um, And so we want to celebrate that this morning. Uh, And so uh, we, and we're going to do this uh, a few different times. So we made some stickers that say in the beginning, and that has the five books of the Bible that you have read. So if you have completed the first five books of the Bible, if you're up to speed, grab one of these off the table out there that says relevant on it. Uh, it's the honor system. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to quiz you like, you know, who is the prophet from, you know, Numbers 23? Balaam. Um, uh, what happened to Genesis 50? We're not going to quiz you, but uh, you're on your own honor system there. Or like my wife Stacy, she's like two days behind. She's like, can I get a sticker on Sunday? Do I have to wait? I'm like, you can get a sticker on Sunday. It's okay. Um, anyway, but, and then you can put that anywhere you want. You can put it on your Bible. You can put it on your like River Ridge notebook. Uh, I put mine on the back of my relevant reading guide, so I'll keep them there. And so uh, there's six different parts of the Bible, at least how we've divided it. And so you'll get six stickers by the end of the year if you're into that kind of thing. So I encourage you to pick one of those just to be an encouragement. Uh, And also, if you are new to River Ridge this morning or maybe in the last couple weeks and you're like, how does this whole thing work? Pick up one of these devotional guides and just start with tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, March the 5th, 6th, something like that, 6th. It says March 6th, there's five readings that go through this week. Read a chapter a day. And I wouldn't try and start in Genesis. Just start there uh, with the rise and fall of Israel, and then you'll get uh, a sticker in about, I don't know, two months or so if you want to do that. So that's where we're going uh, with the reading plan. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, uh, for the worship. Uh, God, I just look forward with thankfulness and anticipation to the next 30 or 40 minutes together um, as we look into your word, as we take communion, as we sing together. Uh, God, you are going to do something in our hearts just to encourage our hearts and ground them in you. And I thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start this morning with the bottom line uh, of where we're going, and everything's kind of going to fold sort of into that. Uh, And I stole the bottom line from a a saying that I've seen different places, maybe it's a bumper sticker or a meme or something, but you've probably seen this where it says, no God, no peace. It's kind of a play on words of, uh, or no God, 
no peace, right? N-O or K-N-O, right? So here's the bottom line uh, for this morning. It's an adaptation of this, and you can write this down if you want. It's no cross, no forgiveness, know the cross, no forgiveness. And that's what we're going to talk about all morning long. We're going to talk about the cross, and we're going to talk about forgiveness. And you may be wondering, well, is this sermon for me? And I want to kind of lay out who I think this sermon is for. And if you fit into these categories, I think this will really engage your heart and your mind this morning. You know, if First of all, if you recognize that you sin against God and you sin against other people, then this message is for you. If you never sin, then this message probably is not going to be for you. If you struggle with forgiveness of sin, specifically with forgiving yourself of sin, then I think this message is going to be very helpful for you. If you have ever felt enslaved to sin, you felt stuck in your sin and you can't quite get out of it, then I think this message is going to speak to you. And if you've ever felt like the guilt and the weight of sin in your life and shame in your life, then I think this message is going to help you to deal with that. Because at the center of all of those things is the power of the cross and the freedom that comes with forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And then there's one other group that this sermon is for, is if you're here this morning and you're investigating Christianity, you're trying to figure out what is all this thing about church and Christianity and Jesus and the cross, how does all this fit together? What we're going to talk about really is the heart of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to become a Christian, and what it means to be a follower of Christ with Christ at the center of our lives. Now, this morning is going to be a little different in this way. If you take out your outline, right, and you're going to notice that it looks a little bit differently, okay? So it, it looks like this. It says the Passover. Uh, so the first thing you need to do, uh, this outline is actually oriented differently, is you're going to rotate it like this so the cross looks like it should be a cross, okay? So you're going to take notes across there, and um, actually you've got kind of a sample of how to hold that there. So that will help you to um, see. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things that point forward to the cross— and then we're going to look at one event that points backward to the cross. Um, and with that, and then towards the end of the message this morning, towards the end of the service, we're going to celebrate communion, which is a celebration of the cross of Christ. So when it comes to the cross of Christ, we find two essentials, and you can write this down. We find forgiveness, and we find freedom. If there is no cross, then we do not have forgiveness— and if there is no cross, then we don't have the freedom to live as God wants us to live. So that's kind of where that is. At the cross, we find freedom and we find forgiveness. If there's no cross, then there is no freedom. There is no forgiveness that we are stuck in bondage to our sins. So that's our starting point this morning. So we're going to go back to where we finished last week. Um, so last week, Moses uh, is out, and he, uh, a bush starts burning, and God appears to Moses out of this burning bush, and he says this, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay? And so, basically, God is calling Moses to go to the people 
who are the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt and say, you're going to be the one to lead them out into freedom, out of Egypt, out from under Pharaoh's kind of domination of them. And they were slaves in Egypt, and they were basically the slave construction crew that was building all of these things in Egypt for the Egyptians. He's going to lead them from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. And this promise comes all the way back from the book of Genesis. This is Genesis 12, 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So the land that he was referring to was what we would look at and we would say, This is Israel. They didn't call it that at that point in time. They would have called it the land of Canaan or referred to it kind of metaphorically as the land flowing with milk and honey. And so God comes to Moses, says, you're going to free the people from Israel. I'm going to use you. And we talked about this last week, is Moses makes up all these excuses about why he shouldn't do it and why he's not the best guy to do it and send somebody else and all these various excuses. And so if you missed last week and you're a person that tends to make some excuses about why you don't want to do what God wants you to do, I encourage you to listen to that from last week or to watch that. So then... The excuses are out of the way. And then Moses is to go to Pharaoh. And kind of the famous line is, let my people go. And so Moses goes over and over and over again to Pharaoh. And each time he goes, there's a different plague that comes upon the land of Egypt. And so there's nine plagues uh, up to this point in time in our story. And they're different kinds of plagues. There's boils, uh, darkness, hail, frogs, lice, locusts. Uh, and so forth, and these nine plagues. And with none of them does Pharaoh say, okay, you guys go ahead. Or he kind of says that, and he, he draws back. But at no point does Pharaoh ever say, the Israelite slaves, the Hebrew slaves, you all can leave. So then the Lord tells Moses, go to Pharaoh one more time. And he gives him these words to say, which are from the Lord. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again." So this is called the plague of the firstborn. So all the firstborn in all of Egypt will die by what's called a little bit later, by the destroyer, right? And this includes, as it says here, the firstborn of Pharaoh all the way, so, in terms of the kind of the social order of things, all the way to the firstborn of the slave girl. Now the firstborn of the slave girl would be an Israelite because the Israelites were slaves, and so the firstborn of the Israelites would also die. Now, if you know the story a little bit, you may realize, you're like, well, that's not right. That's not how the story goes, because the Israelite children, the firstborn of all the Israelites, they were spared. They were saved from this. They didn't die in this great plague. But the reason is that God created an exception for anyone who was willing to believe in God for their protection and what he sets up, they had to kind of opt into that sort of exemption, if you will. And so here's how that goes. Verse 21. 
Go and select for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, that's the top of a door frame, and the two doorposts, that's what we call the the door frame on the sides, with blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through or pass over to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Okay, and so what they were to do is they were to take a lamb, and in different places it says, take a lamb without blemish. And they were to sacrifice that lamb, and they were to take the blood from that lamb and to put it on the door frame. And it was important, it says, a lamb without blemish, right? And so they weren't supposed to go, oh, well, let's, we're going to kill the lamb anyway, so let's take kind of the weak one, the one that sort of hobbles around. Let's take the lamb that has one eye or is missing an ear. Like, no, no we're going to take the best lamb, the lamb that is without blemish, and we're going to sacrifice that for this purpose. Now, this took an act of faith, right? Because here's, I mean, we can look back in history and we know, we know how this turns out. But those who were going through it didn't know how it was going to turn out. They were like, really? I mean, uh, uh, something's going to come through and destroy all the firstborn? That seems a little weird. That's not going to happen. Or, well, I think that's going to happen, but really some blood on a doorpost, that's going to save our family from experiencing this devastation? That, that doesn't sound right. And so they had to sacrifice this lamb. It cost them something. About 1,500 years later, John the Baptist would say this about Jesus. This is John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That Jesus would become the ultimate Passover lamb about 1,500 years later. And that lamb that the Israelites in Egypt were to sacrifice was to be a lamb without blemish. And that becomes especially significant because Jesus Christ was one without blemish. He was clean of sin. He had no sin upon him. And so he was the one that would be sacrificed for our sin. There's a lot of kind of um, details and rituals and, and things that went on with the, the Passover that was celebrated and that would be celebrated after this. One of them is described in the verse that I read. Uh, and, I'm, and I want to kind of do this visually, and I want you to catch the symbolism that's a foreshadowing of Jesus and the cross, okay? So it says this, take a bunch of hyssop, okay? Dip it in the blood that's in the basin. So watch my hand, it's in the basin. And then it says, and touch the lintel on the doorpost, on the lintel, which is the top, and the two doorposts, right? What does that make a sign of? It's the sign of the cross, even before this, Jesus, even before, way before, hey, look at that. Um, even before crucifixion was even invented, there's this foreshadowing of the cross of Christ in the motion that they would make. All of this is anticipation of God looking forward to what he would do with the cross. So the first event that points to the cross is the Passover in Egypt. The Passover in Egypt. Egypt. 
So this great and terrible thing happens in the middle of the night. And even the firstborn of Pharaoh dies as a result of this. And then in verse 31 of Exodus uh, chapter 12, it says, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Go up out of the, from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Which I find a little irony there. Right? He says, Okay, get out. I don't want you, but could you also bless me? It's like, no. I'm like, I don't know what the, I don't think there's a response that Moses gives, but my, if I'm a Moses, I'm like, no, absolutely not. We've been slaves for 400 years. I'm not blessing you as we leave. But they leave. Because of the shedding of the blood of the lamb, the people walked out of slavery into freedom. Because of the shedding of the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb of Jesus, we as children of God, as believers in Jesus, we walk out of slavery into the freedom that God has for us because our sins are forgiven. When we know the cross, we know forgiveness. The Israelites had to intentionally opt into their salvation. Right? So they had to do this kind of ritual thing of the blood on the doorstep, the sacrifice of the lamb. There's some other things that had to do with leavened bread and, and being able to make a quick exodus, which we didn't talk about. But they have to opt into it. They didn't, they weren't, let me put it this way, they weren't spared simply because they were Jews. They weren't spared simply because Abraham was their forefather. They had to opt in to say, I am doing this in an act of faith, of trusting God. And I say that the same is true for us. All of us have to intentionally make a decision to follow Christ. Nobody becomes a Christian because you live in America. Nobody is a Christian because your parents are Christians. Nobody is a Christian because you were baptized as an infant. Nobody, I mean, we can go on and on. That There is a decision that we as individuals make that say, I am in. I am opting into what God is offering. For me, that happened when I was 15 years old at a camp in Colorado, and I said yes to Jesus. Even though I was born in America, even though my parents took me to church occasionally, even though I was baptized as an infant, I had to opt into what God was offering me. Here's the second event that points to the cross, is the Passover celebration. The Passover celebration. As you read what we read in Exodus, and even wider than that, and, and the Passover, it's pretty evident that from the beginning, from this first Passover in Egypt, that God was setting up something that would be practiced year over year over year as a reminder. Numbers chapter 9 is a pretty good summation of it. It says this. It says, Let the people of Israel keep the Passover at its appointed time. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall keep it at the appointed time, according to all its statutes and all its rules. You shall keep it. 
So it says, you will keep the Passover on a specific time of year every year. And again, it says uh, in the verse, he says, it's statutes and it's rules. So as you read the book of Exodus and some other places, there, there's this kind of ritual that surrounds the, the Passover celebration. And so every year on the 14th day of the month, uh, I think it was, I can't remember the month, honestly, off the top of my head, but of that month, I guess it would probably be for us April, but they called it something different. But they would celebrate the Passover, right? So scholars believe, and I'm no scholar, but just reading what other people have written, that the first Passover that happened in Egypt happened in 1441 B.C. And then there was the life of Jesus, another 30 years. So for basically 1471 years, the Passover was celebrated by the Jews year after year after year. And there was two reasons that it was celebrated. One was to look back, that they would always look back and they would remember that God provided for us. God provided for us the way out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land. And they would constantly say, God is faithful, God is faithful, God will provide. And the whole Passover was designed to point to that event to remind them of God's faithfulness. But the second primary purpose of the Passover was to preserve the memory of the Passover lamb. Because remember the words that John spoke, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so there were 14 to 1500 years between the original Passover in, that happened in Egypt that's written down in the book of Exodus to when Jesus came and died for our sins. And so the Passover helped people to remember that event. If there was nothing between that, no memorable events or no memorable kind of occurrences year by year, people would get to Jesus and they wouldn't make that connection that he was the ultimate Passover lamb. The structure of the Passover feast is what it's called, or the Passover celebration, was key. And that takes us to the third uh, little circle of pointing to the cross. And it's the Last Supper. The Last Supper. So Jesus himself would celebrate this Passover every year of his life. Verse 7, it says this. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And so Jesus and the disciples are celebrating the Passover as Jews had done for 14 or 1500 years, pointing back to the Passover in Egypt, pointing forward to what they're about to find out. Verse 19 says, and he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had, taken, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there were four cups that were a part of this Passover celebration. The cup of sanctification, the cup of judgment, the cup of redemption, and the cup of praise. And it was this cup of redemption, as people look at this and say, this is the cup that Jesus was on, the cup of redemption. And there was a part of the Passover celebration where the leader of the Passover, usually the head of the family or whoever was leading a group, so in this case it's Jesus, they would hold up the bread 
okay? And it would be unleavened bread, and they would hold the bread, and they would say these words, these exact words in Hebrew. <laughs> um, say, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness, right? Everybody knew. You hold this up. This is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. And all the people at the table would know, even the little kids, even the young adults, even the old ones, everyone would know that's what you say. This is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. They would know that as well as most of us would know the Lord's Prayer, right? And so if I started the Lord's Prayer and I said, our Father, whose name is Matthew Santon, hallowed be thy name, you would go, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not how that goes, right? That'd be a huge red flag. And you go, and especially if I'm talking about myself, hallowed be Matt Santon's name. You go, no, that's not right. You hold up the bread. You say, this is the bread of our affliction, which our fathers ate in the wilderness. Did Jesus say that? He didn't. He holds up the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples at this point were going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not the right words. Because what Jesus was saying is he's saying, it's no longer about all these lambs that have been sacrificed, that were sacrificed on that day in Egypt. It's now about me. And did they remember when John the Baptist said, behold, the Son of God, who, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? I don't know if they remember that or not. I don't think they put all the pieces together until after Jesus died and rose again. But the pieces were there for them to discover and for us to see. And so the Passover lamb is no longer needed as a sacrifice because the ultimate Passover lamb is Jesus and his blood now covers us instead of the blood of a lamb covering a doorpost. The final event that points to the cross of Christ is communion. So the first three point forward chronologically in time, point to something later in time. Communion for us points backward in time that we would remember the cross. Paul would write and explain communion to us in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's a lot of scripture. But all of this fits together in pointing to the cross of Christ. That communion for us is a reminder of the forgiveness and the freedom that we have because of the cross. That when we know the cross, then we know forgiveness. So we look at all of this put together. And so the Jews put blood on the door frame of their homes and the angel of death passed over and spared them. That was the original Passover. And then the Jews continued to have this Passover celebration 
year after year after year, remembering that God took them from slavery into freedom. And then Jesus gathers the disciples for this Passover celebration, which we call the Last Supper, and presented himself as the new Passover lamb, the one who would be sacrificed and whose blood covers us. And now we celebrate communion, not the Passover, because it points to the cross as a reminder, not of the freedom of Egypt or from Egypt into the promised land. It's a reminder of our forgiveness and our freedom that we have because Christ is with us and in us. And so this morning, we're going to close with a time of communion. Communion is a remembrance that on the cross, Jesus' body was broken for us. And on the cross, Jesus' blood was shed for us. And what this means is that when we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, it means that you are forgiven that God has forgiven you. And if we understand, and if you understand that God has forgiven you, and you're one of the people that you have difficulty forgiving yourself for the sins of the past, that's disagreeing with God. God says, I forgive you of all your sin. And it's kind of like, well, who are you to say back to God, well, then I, but I don't forgive myself. If God has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. Communion helps us to remember that you don't need to be enslaved to sin anymore. You don't need to live with your guilt. You don't need to live with your shame because with the cross comes forgiveness. And the cross is where salvation is found. It's this idea that all of us have to make this decision to opt into the family of God, to become a Christian. Nobody just becomes a Christian because of where you were born or when you were baptized as a baby. And I encourage you this morning, if you've never made that decision for yourself, to make that decision, to just put it in your own words and say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I place my faith in the cross of Christ and not in my own works and not in anything else but in the cross of Christ. By knowing the cross, you can know forgiveness. If you've never been at River Ridge when we have celebrated communion, just a couple things to know and understand. First of all, it's open to anyone. You don't need to be a member here or a regular here. The only thing that we ask is that you've placed your faith in Christ. And if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, over the next couple minutes, take a few minutes and make that decision. And then the second is this, is no one will tell you when to take communion. When you have just meditated and examined your own life and remembered why you take the elements, then take that on your own, in your own timing. So the band is going to play just some instrumental stuff for a minute or two, and then we're going to stand in response and sing together. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would Just help us to focus on the cross. Know that the cross is the center of our faith. And without the cross, there's no forgiveness. Because of the cross, we do have forgiveness. Let us know these things deep in our hearts and minds today. Amen.